couldn't tell from the cardboard preacher. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the end times. Please, no one throw anything at me this morning. Um, and Alabama probably is the mark of the beast. Very funny, very funny. Before we get into it, uh, just a couple, I want to echo a couple of announcements. First of all, our FaceTime group started last week. How many of you went to a FaceTime group this past week? Yeah? Oh my gosh, I heard it was so good. If you don't know, FaceTime is just what we call our small groups that meet in people's homes on Wednesday nights. We go over the lesson from the previous Sunday, we share a meal together, and you get a chance to share um, what the Lord's doing in your heart. You get a chance to sit there and do nothing if that's what you want, but it's, it's, it's a way way for you to get to know each other. It's a way for you to have community in the church, and we highly, highly recommend it. There are FaceTime group sign-up sheets in the foyer. Just pick one and go. If you want to bounce around to a few in the beginning until you find one you're comfortable with, that's perfectly fine. Our, our leaders know that that happens, and they're cool with it, okay? But we do want you involved in small groups, okay? The other thing, uh, I want to make sure you understand, this next weekend is huge, okay? This is our Empower Conference. Uh, we do this every year. It's a time when we set aside a weekend and we say, Holy Spirit, knock our socks off. Show us what you can do. And we've got a friend of our church, Chris Kodosher, who's been here several times. And we've seen dramatic healings. We've just seen the Lord move in just ways that we're not used to seeing him move. And, and I just encourage you um, to, to come Friday night at 7 Saturday night at 7, and then, of course, Sunday morning for both services, Chris will be here, and it's just going to be a powerful, powerful time. Um, there's going to be miracles, signs, and wonders. There always are. I know for some of you, that stretches you a little bit. Come and be stretched, okay? Come and be stretched. Um, and so that's this weekend is the Empower Conference. So we're talking about the end times. Christians can get so weird <laughs> about the end times, Right? I mean, there's so many different beliefs out there, so many ideas, so much division. Um, the, uh, you know, I went to South Africa this summer, and uh, we had an ordination service. And part of their, um, the learning that they went through is they had a whole section on eschatology, which is the, the, the fancy word for the study of the end times, eschatology. And the students in South Africa called it scatology, which is the study of poop. Um, because they were like, what is up with all this? All the different, you know, uh, uh, ideas of, of what's going on in the end times. I thought it was really funny. You've got millennial reigns. You've got pre, post, and mid-tribulations, right? You've got the rapture. You've got the beast. You've got the antichrist. You've got all this stuff. And there's so much confusion. And amazingly, with all the differences and division, there is a lot of confidence among those that teach, <laughs> They're like, oh, it's just, it's so clear. Just read the word. It's like, I, I didn't see that in the word. And so I just kind of want to back up this, this, this morning and take a big picture view of the end times. I'm probably not going where you think I'm going to go this morning. Um, I, you know, I've been the lead pastor here for four and a half years. I've never actually talked about the end times, and here's why. We'll talk about it a little bit more, but it, it, it just it doesn't bear a whole lot of fruit, if I'm being honest. It doesn't bear a whole lot of fruit. I mean, some ministers get up there, and they've got you know, their biblical timelines behind them, and they know exactly what's going to happen. And, of course, they disagree with the guy down the street. Somehow they know the, the way, though. And, and it, just, it doesn't bear the fruit that I think the Lord is looking for in the church. And so we're going to go ahead and, and tackle the end times, and it may be uncomfortable. I will probably stretch you this morning. 
I will probably stretch your theology a little bit this morning. But I'm going to share with you, first of all, this is the way we're going to do it. I'm going to share with you three things that the Bible definitively teaches about the end times. There's no uh, controversy about these three things. Okay, uh, This is straight scripture. It doesn't have to be interpreted. No one's going to disagree with this if they're believers and they read the same Bible. Okay, So I'm going to share with you those three things. Then I'm going to share with you three things that I personally believe about the end times that I would encourage you to adopt for the sake of the kingdom. Okay, So three things the Bible clearly teaches, definitely, definitively teaches, and then three things that I believe that I would like for you to consider. Are we good? You all ready to go? Here's the first one. Jesus is coming back, y'all. Now you're like, well, duh, we knew that. Did you? Because most of the stuff I hear about the end times is about the Antichrist. It's about Satan. It's about blood and war and pestilence and darkness and evil and fear. The end times is about Jesus. And when we don't make it about Jesus, then we do him a disservice. And we do the kingdom of God a disservice. So I just want to lay the foundation here. Jesus is coming back. The Apostle Paul tells us about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read 14 through 18. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. I don't hear a lot of encouraging each other with these words, if I'm being honest. I mean, you know, that, that didn't get into any kind of battle of Armageddon and any kind of, you know, uh, seals and, and stuff like that, which we'll talk about in a second. But I, I don't mean seals like, or, or, I mean like the opening the seals. Okay. There's seals in Revelation. Well, there's grasshoppers, you know. Um, so, so, but Jesus is coming back and we should encourage each other with that information. Now, I firmly believe that knowing the details of how Jesus comes back isn't nearly as important as being prepared for him coming back. You hear that? Knowing the details isn't nearly as important as you being spiritually prepared. If you are spiritually prepared, the details really don't matter that much. And we see that in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, where it's back then, just so you know, um, it, it would be common. Uh, you didn't always know when the bridegroom was coming to get the bride. And so there would be this huge procession where, where the bride and all of her friends, the ten virgins, okay, the friends of the bride, would, would walk to her new house and then there would be partying for days. They really knew how to do weddings back then. Um, and, but, but, it, but Jesus tells the story that there are ten virgins or ten unmarried women that are friends of the bride um, that that are going to accompany her to her new house, right? And five of them forget to bring enough oil for, to light their lamps because this happened at night. And, and he draws a parallel between that, that story and how we are to act when it comes to the end times. This is actually after a big chapter on, about when Jesus comes back in Matthew 24. And so he sums up all the details 
with the bottom line of Matthew 25 with this parable about, look, you need to be ready. Make sure you've got oil in your lampstand. You may not know where you're going. You may not go where you know when the bridegroom's coming, but make sure you've got oil. And what is oil a symbol of? The Holy Spirit. Make sure you're in proper relationship with Jesus. So knowing the details isn't nearly as important as being prepared for it spiritually. Here's the other thing I want you to see about uh, the, the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24, which is, honestly, it's a confusing chapter. Um, Jesus has asked a few questions. He says that the temple is going to be torn down. And then, uh, and then they say, well, when is that going to happen? And when is the end of the age? And when are you going to return? They actually ask three questions. And he answers them, uh, but he doesn't always answer them in chronological order. And it can be a little confusing. But here he's actually talking about when he comes back. So this is 24, uh, Matthew 24, uh, 23 through 28, we're going to read. Check this out. If anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. By the way, did you know that there are false signs and wonders? There are, all right? Do you know that false signs and wonders prove the existence of real signs and wonders? You can only fake something that's real. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, so, see, I've warned you about this ahead of time. So, verse 26, if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert. Don't, don't bother to go and look, or he's hiding in here. Don't believe it. In other words, if someone says, hey, Jesus came back, he's actually in Peru right now, and he's starting a new church. That's not Jesus. That's Jesus, <laughs> but it's not Jesus. Right? He's, he's like, don't, don't, go, don't go look. Don't even go out there. There's no point. Why? Verse 27, for as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. When Jesus comes back, y'all, it's going to be obvious. Don't worry. Now, every, I think everyone's had an experience where all of a sudden they realize, I'm alone, and what if I missed the rapture? Have you ever experienced that? I think we all have at some point. We're like, I don't see anyone I know, and maybe, maybe God took all my friends and my family, and I'm the one who's left behind, right? And, and you, look, that's not in any way, shape, or form biblical. You aren't going to miss Jesus. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be obvious to everyone. So don't, you don't have to be afraid of that, okay? Um, John, I love the way John, uh, in, in John, Jesus is talking about it. John 14, this is towards the, it's like his final conversations, um, uh, with his disciples. And he, he, he says uh, in John 14, verse 1, he says, he, he's talking about the fact that he's going to be betrayed and that, you know, this is not going to look like they think it's going to look. And uh, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. Have y'all heard the phrase, in my, in my father's house there are many mansions? I, I, I am so tar- sorry to tell you this. That is a terrible translation. Uh, and so we've got songs, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. The word mansion there, it's a terrible translation. It's only in the King James and a few other. It, it just means dwelling place, okay? So I don't know how big your house is going to be in heaven. It's not going to be a mansion, okay? It's going to be a dwelling place, and which is probably best because we'd be like, well, I better get a bigger house than that joker over there in heaven, you know? It's not going to be like that, okay? But what's he saying? He, well, let's just keep reading. He goes, there's, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, here we go, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. 
That's the promise. That's the promise. Look, there's more than enough room in heaven for anyone who's willing to come with Jesus. That's the point of that scripture. There's more than enough room. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, okay? Plenty of room. Plenty of room for anyone who wants to come, okay? So, Jesus is coming back, all right? The end times, your end times theology should be about Jesus, not about anyone else or anything else, okay? Here's the second thing that we see just definitively and clearly in Scripture is that no one knows when Jesus is coming back. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus himself says that. Verse 36, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Okay, only the Father knows when this is going to happen. First Thessalonians, the, the Apostle Paul says that. This is, this is right after uh, the, the passage that we read earlier um, about you know, when Jesus comes back and all that good stuff. It says, verse 2, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Okay? Now, it's funny. There are web pages. There's actually a Wikipedia page devoted to all of the incorrect predictions of when Jesus is going to come back. And it's so weird to me that those things exist. I mean, Scripture clearly says, Jesus himself says, hey, I don't even know. If Jesus doesn't know, you're not going to know. And, and, and there's, there's lots of different denominations. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses keep guessing and guessing and keep getting it wrong. Um, a lot of groups talking about when Armageddon is going to happen. When, I mean, and, and so I just encourage you, look, if... if, if <laughs> You can know the season of when Jesus is coming back, and we're in the season, okay? But uh, if someone tells you they figure it out when Jesus is coming back, you, you just probably need to go find someone else to talk to. Because they don't know. Even if they think they know, they don't know. Because Scripture just clearly thinks that. Besides, and this is an interesting point. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Everyone has always thought Jesus is coming back in their lifetime. Including the writers of the New Testament. You listen to some of Paul's teachings, and he's like, yeah, look, Jesus is coming back soon, so you might not want to do that. Like, that's his, that, that's his logic and his rationale for some of the stuff that he says in his letters. But how many of you know Jesus didn't come back in Paul's lifetime? Jesus still hadn't come back. All right? And so uh, we, need to, we need to guard against this idea that, like, like, the end times revolves around us. Okay? The end times revolves around Jesus and around the Father's will, not us. Okay? But... This is cool. You may not have known this. Here's my third point. Your actions can help determine when Jesus comes back. Did you know that? Do you know you're not just passively sitting on the bleachers watching the game of the apocalypse unfold in front of you? No, you actually have a role to play. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, it says, You must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. How many of you heard that before? Some people have taken that verse and they've used it to try to calculate when Jesus is coming back. Well, since a day is a thousand years, ah, it didn't say a day is a thousand years, now did it? It said a day is like a thousand years. This is called simile or metaphor, okay? Uh, this is, this is it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not literal. You can't do math based on this verse. What is it saying? Well, we keep reading. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to come back, as some people think. No, he's being patient. Why? For your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Hey, do you know Jesus wants everyone saved? It's true. You just read it. 
Even the Muslim terrorists? Yep. He wants them saved too. Even the people I hate? Yep, especially the people you hate. He wants everyone saved. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief when the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything around it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, verse 12, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. You can hurry along. The, the King James, New King James says, haste the day of the Lord. You heard that haste in the day? Hurrying, you actually have a role to play. Well, what's your role? Your role is to tell people about Jesus because he is waiting to come back to make sure that everyone hears. And if you're just sitting in the bleachers at church as a spectator, well, I guess the Lord's going to make this thing happen. He's going to pull the switch one day. You're the switch. You are the one that preaches the gospel and he comes back because everyone has heard. Do you, do you see that? And so your actions help determine when Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. I want you to notice something. These are three things that I'm going to share with you that I personally believe about the end times. And I'm telling you, it's going to stretch a few of you. But I encourage you to really think about this and really consider it. Do you notice that those three baseline things I just taught you about the end times, I did not once turn to the book of Revelation. I looked at the words of Jesus, and I looked at the words of the Apostle Paul, and I looked at the words of the Apostle Peter. John also has some stuff to say about it as well. I didn't even look at the book of Revelation, but if I were to ask you guys, what's the one book that you need to look at to know about the end times, almost everyone would say Revelation. Y'all, Revelation is one of the most misunderstood books, I believe, in the entire Bible. Now, some of you are are really going to push back against this, but this is my opinion, and I encourage you to genuinely consider this. The book of Revelation should not be our primary source for end times information. And now, I know some of you have been trained in explicit detail to the contrary. I get that, and I'm not saying you have to abandon that if if you don't want to, okay? There are no theological hoops for anyone to jump through to belong to our fellowship here, okay? And so if, 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 you, if you want to believe a certain thing about the end times, you are free to believe that as long as, it doesn't, as long as your theology doesn't keep you from actually doing the work of the ministry, which is what happens a lot of the times. I do not believe that the book of Revelation should be our primary source for the end times. I personally believe, now let's just talk about, it's, it's, it's not called Revelations, okay? That's not what the book is called. Turn to Revelations. All right, it's either called the Revelation of John or it's called a Revelation of Jesus. Okay, Revelation is about Jesus. Okay, and um, John is seeing several visions happen in front of him. Okay, and he's writing them down, and so it reads a lot like a movie or a play um, as you're as you're watching these visions unfold. Um, You have to decide. You, as the reader of Scripture, you as a follower of Jesus, are going to have to describe, going to have to decide if you think Revelation is a literal, these visions are a literal reenactment of what's about to happen in the future, or if it's truth in symbol. 
if it's truth and symbol, and they're not literal things that are happening, but the things that are happening are teaching a bigger idea. I think it's, this, I think it's the latter of those two, and here's why. Uh, Revelation was written anywhere between 70 or 95 A.D. Some people go all the way up to 110 A.D. It was the last book written. It was written to Christians who were very literally either under Emperor Nero or Domitian. They were being crucified upside down and lit on fire at night. And that was Rome's uh, lights, street lights, Christians burning on crosses. And so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at that point. You know, John's an old guy, and he's been banished to the island of Patmos. Then all of a sudden, God gives him this revelation of what's going to happen in in thousands of years. The Christians needed encouragement then. They weren't allowed to possess their holy texts. They weren't allowed to possess their scriptures. And so I believe revelation is a retelling of the existing scriptures in code. I know this. I know you're like, wait, wait, what? Just, Just go with me here for a little bit. For instance... Jesus is described in Revelation chapter 1. He's got white hair. He's got bronze feet. His eyes are fire. And he's got a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Does anyone think that's what Jesus looks like? Could you imagine if Jesus had a two-edged sword everywhere coming out of his mouth? Just going everywhere. Hey, guys, what's up? You don't believe that, do you? You know that that's symbolic. Can you think of something that a two-edged sword is compared to in Scripture? The Word of God. And we know that Jesus is the Word of God, and out of his mouth proceeds the Word of God. So here we have a good example of of symbol being used to teach a a spiritual truth. Okay, Revelation also uses all sorts of uh, numbers and things like that. I'll, I'll give you a good example. This one you guys will get. I'm going to get to another one that you push back against. 144,000 people is numbered as those going into heaven. Have you heard that in Revelation? Does anyone believe that there's literally 144,000 people that are going to be in heaven? The Jehovah's Witnesses do. But Christians, we don't believe that. We believe that every, we just read in Second Peter that the Lord wants everyone to be saved, not just 144,000. So you know that that's not true, 144,000, yet it's in Revelation. So it means something other than a literal number. Here's what I think it means. The 12 tribes of Israel, Old Covenant. The 12 disciples, New Covenant. Times each other is 144. A thousand is 10 times 10 times 10. 10 is the number of completion. And anytime you see things three times, it means God's completion. The Trinity, God. So the number of people that are going to be in heaven is not literally 144,000. It's those from the Old Covenant, those from the New Covenant, under God's completion. Now, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense than a literal number? And you guys believe, you already believe that. You already believe that. You don't believe in a literal number. Here's another one. Ooh, you're going to like this. 666. The mark of the beast. Ah! Now, <laughs> any Iron Maiden fans out there? Uh, so, so there's a lot of teaching, and, and, you, and you can subscribe to this. And look, if you want to believe this, you can. Like, it's okay. I'm just, I'm just encouraging you to think differently. 
But there's a lot of teaching about the mark of the beast that, you know, you have to receive the mark of the beast on your hand, on your head, and you have to have it in order to buy and sell when the Antichrist is reigning and all this kind of stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? A lot of people think it's going to be a microchip, right? It's going to be a microchip, although how would they know what a microchip was back then when they were writing it? Anyway, um, they think it's going to be a microchip. It's not. The word is actually more like a badge or a mark. Um, it's more like a tattoo or even like a, a something that you, like a badge that you tie around your arm. It's the same thing that's used. So, so 666, what does that even mean? Well, six is the number of man in scripture. Six is the number of man. Anything three times means God. So man is God is 666. Now, you can believe, if you want to, that the Antichrist, whoever that is, is going to have you go to CVS and get a chip in your, in your hand or in your forehead, right? And then you can't buy or sell without that chip. If you believe that, you also need to believe that the believers have a chip that's, that's 777, because that's also in there, but no one talks about that. Or, you can see that it's symbolic. And you can see that God is man, man is God is what 666 means. And in order to be successful in the world system, you've got to have man as God on your actions, that's what your hand means, or your thought life, that's your forehead. Now that's true, isn't it? You already know that's true. You already know that in order to be successful in this world, you've got to sell out to the world system. And so I, I encourage you, that that's just to wet your whistle a little bit. That's just to stretch you a little bit. And to let you know there are other ways of thinking of the end times than a literal interpretation of Revelation. Amen? Amen. Here's the next thing I want you to know. A Christian's end times theology should not make them afraid or make them root for the enemy. A Christian's end time theology should not make them afraid of the future or root for Satan. You know, many, many people, their end time... Uh, their end times, uh, when, when the end times is brought up, they're just so afraid of what's going to happen. And it's just going to be this terrible time. Look, can I encourage you? Acts chapter 2, verse 17 talks about the end times a little bit. It says this, in the last days, all right, we're in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Y'all, the end times is wonderful. Because we get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Did you read that? We, so, so we shouldn't be afraid of the future. If your end times theology makes you afraid of the future, I, I just encourage you to realize that, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment or torment. There's no fear in God, and if your theology drives you to fear, it's not God. Here's the other thing, is I don't believe our end times theology should make us root for the enemy. So many times, I would never root for Satan. You know, I have heard with my own little ears, Christians look at like disaster in the world and bad things happening, they're like, well... It's the end times. This stuff has to happen. It's like, and they sit on their sofa doing nothing to help a lost and dying world because their theology teaches them that Satan's this big bad goblin that's going to... Look, Colossians 2.15, it says, In this way, Jesus, talking about um, when he forgave us, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. Satan is a defeated foe. 
he has been defeated. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't still exist and he's not still active. He is. But we know the end. We are victorious. And so we don't root for our enemy to do good things and tear up the earth so Jesus will come back. It's just, it doesn't jive with what scripture tells us. Here's the last thing I want you to consider. End times theology can be a distraction if you let it. I know people who can tell you a bajillion different interpretations of Revelation and they treat their spouse terribly. I know people that can, that can tell you all about the beast and the Antichrist, which, by the way, the Antichrist is not in Revelation. You have to interpret one of the two. There's two beasts in Revelation, not just one. And you have to interpret one of those beasts as the Antichrist, but it doesn't say that. The word rapture is not in Scripture either. Okay? I just encourage you guys. <laughs> I'm, getting some, I'm getting some help. I just encourage you guys to rethink some of this, okay? Um. But it, the end times theology can be a distraction. I know people who can talk all about that kind of stuff, tell you all that kind of stuff, but they haven't prayed with anyone to receive Christ in years. But yet Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. It says, go and teach end times theology to the world. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. What I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end. That's your job as a Christian. And if you get, and I'm not saying don't study end times. Like, we need to know, right? We need to know the season. We need to to know a general idea of what's going to happen. But I'm just, I already told you the general idea of what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back, and it's going to be awesome. But all this, all this stuff, this over detail when it comes to, you know, the, during the middle of the tribulation, 3.5 years, and then there's going to be the beast and the Antichrist, and he's going to come from Europe. And it's like, you don't, look, that's all based off of a specific interpretation mindset of one book. And it's ignoring the words of Jesus, Paul, and Peter. Come on now, am I lying? And so I encourage you, look, our mission on this earth is to love people until they ask why. And then the answer to that why is Jesus. Our answer is to share the gospel with people, to live it out right in front of them. And so it's not the end times, it isn't something that should be studied. It's just not prioritized in the way that a bunch of other stuff is. We need to stop being distracted by what might happen and get active about what is happening and preach the gospel to our family, to our friends, and to our coworkers. Amen? Here's my question for you. Oh, you made it through. Are you preparing for the return of Jesus? You remember the ten virgins who didn't bring enough oil? They didn't have enough relationship with the Holy Spirit. They, they were a part of the party. They'd attended the, the, the festivities. You can be a regular here at church. You can come every, every single week, week in, week out. You may be able to tell me um, about all the different ideas about when Jesus is coming back. But are you preparing your heart for the return of Jesus, not just your head? Are you preparing your heart? Are you letting the compassion of Jesus well up inside you for the lost? Are you just like, eh, well, the Bible says a bunch of people are going to die. Sorry. Come on, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Let's stand.